You're listening to Bow Down to Us, the comics edition, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. And here's your host, Vince. That's right, everyone. It's time for issue number four of the Bow Down to Us Comics podcast. It is Wednesday, comic book day, August 25th. As always, I'm Vince with my faithful sidekick, Roger. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing all right. Oh, you got to be doing better than all right, man. We are one week away from the new website launch. Well, okay, fine. I'm doing damn good. I mean, the day oh. started off like crap, but then I started, I pushed myself as I have been the last little while to just get all of the importing done of the new, for the new site. And the imports are all done. The site is looking fantastic. Um, between the comic reviews, the game reviews and everything, it's really looking freaking slick. So I cannot wait till we launch this sucker in a week. Yeah, our next recording is going to be actually on launch day, so that should be really fun. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we're going to dive straight in on this uh, this week. We don't really have a lot of news to discuss, but the theme for this week is every great hero needs an origin story. And, you know, sure, you'll get my fantastic origin story one of these days, but we'll get the lesser origin story of my sidekick this week, because this is really a Roger themed <laughs> episode, which is what I dreamed up when I thought of this one. So I know you just give uh, briefly... You, you used to read books, what, like 25 years ago? Well, books all along. The comic books, well, I mean, however. Comic yeah, books, yes. the comic books we're looking at, it would be just over 25 years that I stopped reading them. And so I'd, I'd started early enough, and uh, I was one of those, you know, you know the kid that starts working when they're like eight and never stops? That was me. I started with the old paper out and never stopped from there. And basically for the longest time, all of my money went towards amassing a enormous comic book collection that I treasured and that I tried to tell my parents would someday be worth something. And they just kind of mocked me for that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I had boxes and boxes of them. And then I stopped reading as a lot of people do when they're in their early teens. And it wasn't until the iPad that I started downloading more and getting back into comic books. That being said, I've found that there's a big difference when you are remembering, same as with, you know, when you watch TV shows that you remember them being great back in the day, but then you watch them, it didn't quite hold up. And some of that is what I'm finding with some of the comic books. If they're well written, I'm really enjoying them a lot. I, I can appreciate a good story, whether it's in a comic book, a book, a movie. Hell, we watch, my wife and I watch cartoons with the kids. And as long as there's a good story to them, like the Batman Beyond <laughs> we love those. So when I'm seeing comic books that are exceptionally well-written, I'm really appreciating the stories behind them. But then you're also getting the flip side of that coin. And I seem to be landing on quite a few of these, the ones that are absolutely hokey and terrible. And then you realize that, you know what, back in the day, maybe I would have appreciated this, but now I've got no patience for it whatsoever. So it's kind of interesting. All right. Well, to tie into that whole flashback aspect, the first book we're talking about this week is New Mutants Forever. Number one came out. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, but I'm tying it into this episode because of some other comics we'll be talking about. Now, the concept Marvel was going with with their forever franchise was taking old characters and old writers and picking up where they left off. 
Last year, we saw the premiere of the first forever title, X-Men Forever. It's widely publicized about Chris Claremont's departure from Marvel back in the 90s after X-Men issue number three. I think it was in 1992 because him and Jim Lee were co-writing it. And just due to creative differences, Claremont decided he wanted to step away and he left Marvel altogether, leaving the title purely in the hands of Jim Lee. So now that Claremont is back in Marvel's good graces, he's been writing a few books here and there. They decided to give him this project to work on. X-Men Forever picked up exactly where Claremont left off, and it gave him the freedom to tell the stories that he wanted to tell but never got a chance to. Now, anybody that knows Claremont's writing knows that he loved foreshadowing. He would put little hints and little twists in months, sometimes years before you got to them. And one of the main issues that caused Claremont to separate from Marvel, and I'm sure you might remember this from back when you were reading, is he always intended for Sabretooth to be Wolverine's father. And Jim Lee and Marvel didn't like that. So now in the X-Men Forever, with Sabretooth coming back into the fold, he first issue that Sabretooth shows up, he completely admits, and it's completely accepted, that he was Wolverine's father. So we're seeing a vast departure from the accepted Marvel canon in these Forever franchises. We just wrapped up X-Factor Forever, which brought uh, back Louis Simonson from her run on that book, and that was phenomenal. I didn't really like X-Factor that much when it was first coming out. I read it. I, I was actually reading it more towards the second generation of it with Havoc and Polaris and those characters. But seeing it back with the original five X-Men and Apocalypse, that storyline was fantastic. But anyway, we had New Mutants Forever, which picked up right where Claremont left off back in the 80s. He didn't leave this book under the same circumstances as X-Men. He just wanted – he had too many books to write. This was around the same time they were launching the Wolverine ongoing monthly series, which he was also writing. So he had to step away from this one and picked up right where it left off. Now, the thing I love the most about these forever these forever books, and it's possibly also the biggest negative about them, is like you said, things appear a lot differently in your memory than they do now that you're older and looking back at it. Because the writing style in these forever books is straight out of the 80s. What did you think of that? Okay, well, am I going to try to be politically correct, or am I going <laughs> to just point blank say what I think? <laughs> because I've see i had been reading the 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 uh, getting caught up on the regular new mutant series and then and i'd been enjoying them but then i read this forever one and i was really disappointed i was <laughs> i was i was really disappointed and as i've been saying with other series like we said last week as well i'm at a point now not just because of time constraints with everything that goes on, you know, being father, working full time, working on these other projects and whatnot, but also that I just don't have the patience to stick it through something now if I'm not enjoying it. So as with the series that we were talking about last week, I would have stopped reading it. And this New Mutants Forever, I would have stopped reading it. I would have stopped reading it and just never gone back to the series probably unless something drastic happened or I'd heard that it the, the the writing style had changed to, or to to warrant me going back to it because quite frankly this was this was stupid this was absolute <laughs> stupidity it was and i mean n nothing against claremont i mean obviously he knows what he's doing but i don't like this it is it's it's it, it is that throwback to that style which you know what maybe somebody who's younger reading it will be able to appreciate it and won't 
think twice about it. But when I'm reading some of this, I'm thinking, oh, come on. And I know that they're going with the teenage drama of the, you know, the younger crew. But some of it is just, it, it, it makes me groan. And that's not something you want in a comic book. See, it's very funny because it, it, you hit it perfectly. And they did a great job replicating how the series was back in the 80s. As a point of reference, I got into my uh, Marvel Digital subscription and looked at some of the back issues like right before the storyline takes place. And thematically, it fits. The writing is the same. The pacing is the same. The characters are the same. So it they succeeded in what they're trying to do. Just it's questionable whether or not they're trying to do is actually worthwhile because these characters themselves have gotten so much development over the intervening 20 plus years that going back to how they were then it, you know that they're capable of more and you're kind of disappointed when you don't get it. Well, I don't think that I'd, I, I don't think that I'd say that it's the characters that have, that that there's more that we've seen the characters able to accomplish, and so it's a little disappointing when we see this. So much as comic books as a genre have changed to adapt to a less forgiving audience and one that demands better quality. So going back to a style that is turning the tables back to a time when it was not as good, let's be honest, some of it was not, to me that doesn't make sense. You can go back and revisit the storyline and take off from where you left off, but write it in such a way that it's not going to be speaking down to your audience today. Yeah, this would have worked back then. Nobody would have blinked an eye and it would have been the same as what everybody had been seeing up until then. But we can look at all the phenomenal series that have come since then that have really progressed, again, comic books since then. So don't take a step back. If you want to keep telling the story, hey, that's fantastic, but do it from a style point that we're used to now, that that the bar is higher. So don't, don't try to duck underneath it just to make it easy for yourself. And that's what it felt with this. And I mean, not just in terms of the, the style of writing and the art. Oh, don't even get me started on the art. But also just some of the things that are happening, like when you're having the, the, the sequence where they're all busting in on Magneto and all the other, you know, alpha level kind of mutants. And they're taking them out. I mean, they bitch slapped Emma and that was it. She was gone. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> these guys are supposed to be the most powerful of them all kind of deal. And they're being taken out like nothing. And I'm thinking, uh, you're losing me. You're losing me real fast. Yeah. When I've seen Sebastian Shaw arm wrestle Colossus and win, it's kind of hard to believe that this dude and, and piece of and some flimsy armor is going to take him down. I, I agree with that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to set aside New Mutants forever and get on to the current New Mutants, which just last week saw the release of its 16th issue. They relaunched New Mutants uh, little while ago with the original team coming back, which is great because they relaunched it again back in, uh, I think it was 2001 or 2003 with the same theme, but a completely different cast of characters. So it's great that they're getting back to their roots and getting these characters back together as a team again, because these guys were very popular in their day and they still have a lot of fans today. So we saw that they're bringing the team back together with a whole new writing, a whole new art style. So before we get into the exact of the recent issues, 
again, as a fan of the characters and looking at how it was back in the 80s and how it is now, what did you think of this series? Actually, I'm enjoying this one. It, it, it's interesting because I, I really was a, a big fan of the mutants back in the day. However, they were never really my favorite kind of series, but they I really did like it. And when they started with their series, I immediately began reading them. And I'm, I, in all honesty, we talked about this before, too. I cannot remember at what point I stopped reading. That being said, as much as I enjoyed the series, obviously, now granted, yes, it's been, you know, over 25 years, but obviously it didn't have that much of an impact on me in terms of remembering the characters because I've been having a hard time remembering <laughs> all of these guys with the exception of Warlock. And let's be honest, he stands out. But I have been finding it very, very difficult to remember all these. And it wasn't until I read the recap in Forever that I kind of went, ah, and then I was starting to remember little things here and there. But even then, they they obviously didn't have that much of an impact. I remember enjoying the series. I remember being identified with the writing because it was geared more for the younger group Um and that's something that's posing a problem now because when there are these melodramatic teenage moments, whereas as someone of that age group, I would have been able to appreciate it, whatnot. Now, again, I kind of groan and kind of go, no, I'm, I, I can't identify with that anymore. I, I can appreciate what they're going through to a certain degree when it is when it's not these superpower issues, but real life issues. But otherwise, it's like, ugh, no, no, I'm having a hard time with that. Um, that being said, though, the the series is is very well written. It's what I'm finding a little disconcerting is that they they appear to be bouncing between artists as well though because there's been some fairly different I haven't actually checked who the artist was in each one of them but some of them have some way way different artwork um hell one of them looked like it was watercolor kind of thing it, it looked like it was drawn in some sort of pastel or something and that was issue number 5 and I detested that hated it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know if it was a different artist or just trying out different styles because uh the artist uh nevis really kind of a newcomer to the scene i'm not really sure about the their style or anything so i i, I really can't comment on that but i do have to agree i really like zeb wells he is one of marvel's uh real up-and-coming talents he it really his first one of his first uh books for them was writing amazing spider-man how would you like to have one of your first jobs with yeah. Marvel? You write freaking Spider-Man. And he's done great work there, uh, working alongside some of their much higher tiered writers and gaining experience there. And yeah, I, I really enjoy his writing on this title. He's got a, a good grasp of the characters. Uh, one of my favorites was the one where uh, they were rescuing the hostages from the pirate ship or something while Cyclops was watching them. And the whole time, they're like, oh, you're looking for a new leader, huh? And he's like, yeah. And you know, the entire time you think he's, you know, pinning in on Cannonball to be the new leader and possibly, you know, his future replacement one day. And then the big twist at the end of the issue is, oh, maybe it's not going to be Cannonball. So he, it's, it's a nice little uh, cast of characters that he's got here. Yeah, yeah. No, they are doing a very good job. Just to backtrack quickly, the artist on the issue that I'm discussing was Zachary Baldus. And then the... Okay different colors but and and see that's that's a big one for me too because we've discussed that too nothing takes you out of a story as much as art that that's either point blank bad or that you can't identify with and i i find it very difficult to have this style of art and and kind of appreciate it 
in a comic book. I can appreciate the the depth of the work that went into it, although really some of it is, I, I, I don't want to sound negative, but some of it is not good when you're looking at the images. And it's like, no, no, that's that's just not good. It looks very, very flat. It's not and I and I don't enjoy it. But then you look at some of the other issues and the art is absolutely phenomenal. And that yeah, does it, make a big difference. It's an issue that the entire industry is kind of dealing with these days because it takes an average artist. And this is coming from uh, Tom Brevoort, one of Marvel's senior editors. It takes an average artist about six weeks to draw an issue while they try to publish every month. So eventually something with the scheduling is going to have to give either they're going to have to rush through an issue or they're going to have to get a guest artist like you saw there on issue five. And there are there there are very few artists that can turn out consistent quality every four weeks. I think what it is as well is that, and see, I actually, I, you, you wouldn't even know this. I worked on a comic book with somebody, uh, a comic book artist that I knew back where I used to live, and he was absolutely amazing. But, excuse me, one of the things that I learned watching him work as well was, and this is something that we know looking at both games as well as comic books as well, um, you can be stylish without being incredibly in depth with all of your details. And I think that that's a big one. So create something that's stylish. It doesn't take as long to, to, to put out, but it can still be something that is so visually gripping that you can appreciate it and it still draws you into the story. And that's something that the big boys, Marvel and DC, try to do a lot just to try to streamline, streamline the process so that it doesn't take that long to put it out. And in some cases, you wind up with issues that are that look like it was rushed out because it doesn't have enough style. It has a simplicity, but not enough style. And then you have issues like that one that I'm talking about that they tried to put far too much detail, but in a way different style that I personally can't get my head around and, and, and appreciate. So uh, it, it can be done. It's just, you got to know your priorities. Is it style and simplicity, or is it going to be as much detail as you, you can possibly crank out in that short amount of time? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to have a guest artist or, you know, one of those, let's say, quote unquote, filler issues to have a different sort of art. But a very important thing is to at least keep the same basic style and basic look so that, you know, you don't open up the book and suddenly wonder if. This is a you picked up the wrong thing off the shelf. Yeah. It, it can be done. I've seen a guest artist step in. And if you didn't know it, you wouldn't you wouldn't have realized that it was a new artist. So it, it's something that we're really going to look see a lot of over the coming years because uh, it the industry has come to expect much higher quality work than the artists are really capable of delivering consistently. I think what the, the what everybody needs to realize as well is that the reader identifies with the art as well as the storytelling. And that's a big one. It's it's something that they have to appreciate so that, yeah, if you're getting somebody else to work on this, make sure they're up to par. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. Uh, if you saw my review of the first issue of the relaunch of X-Men, the, the writing is decent. The story is OK, but it's the art that really sets it apart. The minute you first see Cyclops and Wolverine on the page, even if you have never read an X-Men book before, you get enough of their character through the artwork to be able to carry forward. But we're going to set all that aside and get to what 
the we're focusing on with the new mutants this week, and that is issues 15 and 16, the fall of the new mutants, as it's being called. They published the new mutants issues one through 11, bringing the team together and everything. And then they had to stop for issues 12, 13 and 14 for the second coming event. Issue 12 did focus mostly on the new mutants in their role in second coming. But issues 13 and 14, new mutants were hardly in them. I think when you first started reading comics, you picked up issue 14, right? Um, actually, I had I, I picked up a couple, but I didn't read them. So I waited until I had right from one and I started reading from one. Now, I actually there are a couple I haven't read. I've read from one till nine or one till ten kind of thing. So there's still a couple that I need to to poke in there. Yeah, I remember you sent me an IM one day. And you're like, I think it was like issue 14 where you just picked it up out of the blue because you remember you say, hey, new mutants. I recognize this. And you're like, what is this? I don't know. I don't <laughs> what's going on. So I'm like, put it away. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you can start reading that book again, which is what I did. <laughs> and see, I, I'm finding that I'm seeing that a little too often right now with a lot of the comic books that I've been picking up. They've made it so that it's a very clickish feel where the people who've been reading for a long time know exactly what's going on. But even with new series that are starting up, somebody you can't just pick it up and expect to know what is happening. It's not starting a story scratch from scratch there. There is so much backstory that that you have no clue what's going on. And I'm kind of finding myself a little disappointed by that. Yeah, I, it, that's uh, one of the things that caused them to launch their ultimate universe. You said, okay, we have 50 years of backstory. Nobody's going to know everything that we're talking about. So they started a completely new universe with clean slate, Spider-Man, kid, bitten by spider. That's all you know about him going in. Okay, mutants. They, they, they assembled the X-Men, a team of like six characters, not you know, the traditional first team. Okay, they're mutants. Uh, she can shoot electricity. This guy has claws. Go. And it simplified the story and it saved Marvel Comics, actually, because they were bankrupt at the time. And all of these titles sold fantastically because they appealed to older readers as well as new ones. But what we're seeing here, again, bringing the conversation back on track <laughs> with New Mutants 15 and 16 is after the second coming, the New Mutants are jacked up. Cannonball is questioning his abilities as a leader. Karma lost a freaking leg. Cypher almost died. Warlock was forced to kill somebody, which is completely against everything he believes in. So they go on a vacation. Yeah. And you have some nice uh, interaction moments between them with, you know, they, they, they're, they're trying to be all professional. And, you know, as they get a few drinks on them, you finally see, you know, their true character coming out. And it's not the, the traditional, oh, drama stuff that we know. It's just them being normal, <laughs> which is the way I saw it. And we also see the introduction of these new villains in General Ulysses and his team of soldiers who have apparently been stuck in limbo, which is the, uh, let's say, a version of hell for the Marvel Universe where Magic, one of the new mutants, ruled for several years when she lost her soul. And they came back and only two years had passed in our time. So the military is expecting certain things from them, and they've basically just gone completely off the reservation. And I think this is a really cool adversary for the new mutants because it's something completely new, something completely fresh that they can really take in a great direction. How did you feel about uh, General Ulysses and his little band here? I'm trying to wrap my head around it in terms of just how powerful they are. Because, yeah, I can appreciate that they, obviously, some of them have morphed into other things, too, while they were there kind of thing, <laughs> which is helping them be a little bit more powerful. But at heart, they're still just a, a, a bunch of 
military personnel versus the mutants that are supposed to have these unbelievable powers. And so it's kind of hard to to follow that rationale that it'd be so easy for them to subdue them. Case in point, just like what we'd been reading in The New Mutants Forever. It's like, it's okay, it shouldn't be that easy for you guys to take down these guys who can make fire come out of their butts, all right? <laughs> and so that, to me, is something I'm having a harder time wrapping my head around. I can appreciate the depth of the story and whatnot and what they went through. There. So they're doing a good job with the writing on that. It's just, again... Would they really? Would it be that easy for them to take them down? I don't know. Well, which is why the last page of issue sixteen was so great because, like you said, it was just a bunch of military guys until Ulysses pulled his wild card and showed up with his own team of mutants. That's who that was at the end of issue sixteen. That was the mutants, the mutant babies that he said had died. Yeah, they grew- that so, I can appreciate. Yeah, but not yeah. in. In 15, 15, it was just the army dudes with all kinds of limbo demons clawing at their faces. Yeah, so so we're seeing a nice buildup of the story. And that's something that New Mutants, the, the recent title, has been missing. Every hero needs an adversary. And that's something that's also missing from the rest of the X-Men books right now. The X-Men's biggest enemies are now their best friends, as we've seen with Magneto. And back in the 80s, the New Mutants were their had their counterparts, the Hellions. Do you remember the Hellions? Yeah. Okay. They were the Hellfire Club's version of the New Mutants, basically. Well, 20 years of stories later, most of the Hellions have either died, been depowered, or actually been redeemed. So you have this cast of characters with this well-known cast of opposites that are no longer available. So I think it's really cool that you are quite literally giving them a new team of Hellions. Yeah. So we, we, I actually have high hopes of this title to come. And I can't wait for issue 17 and the future ones. This one has New Mutants is now on my buy list every month. I'm still not sold. I, You know what? I'll, I'll give it a shot for a little while, but I'm still not 100% sold just based on those few little things that are making me kind of, again, it, while I could appreciate the younger team when I was younger, now I'm kind of thinking, no, I, I'm... Again, I'll give it a shot for a little while, but it may be a, a series that eventually I pass on just to to read some of the other amazing series that are out right now. Yeah, well, yeah, at least currently, because right now it has taken over the spot previously occupied by Uncanny X-Men, because that also came out last week and I didn't buy it because I really didn't like the previous issue. And from a friend of mine who did tell me about it, I'm glad I didn't uh, spend my four dollars there. So we're moving on to our final title of the week, and this is one very exciting to Roger and myself because for anybody who knows us, (laughs) this isn't our first podcast. We've been doing coming up on 50 episodes now of our For the Lore, soon to be known as Bow Down to Us Lore, focusing on video games. And this is one of the things that actually got you into comics. Oh, yeah. It was the tie-ins between the video games and the comics. I think the first comic you bought in that 25 years was Mass Effect, correct? I think you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because I picked it up after I bought the collectors had the first issue and then I went out and bought the other ones. And then, yes, because Dragon Age came out after that and that was one of those must have kind of issues for me and it's true actually now that you you mentioned it, i'd forgotten i actually yeah i was getting back into the comics before i even got the ipad thanks to these 
tie-in game tie-in ones because it's important to me because while we both appreciate the stories in games that's why we started doing that podcast and so when you are given an opportunity to see more of that world via print whether it was comic books or books i'm all over that i think it's phenomenal and especially with mass effect being able to see that story tie-in between mass effect one and mass effect two i really enjoyed that four-part little Mass Effect series. Although, to be quite honest, it pales in comparison to what we've been seeing with the Dragon Age series. Yeah, I think comic books are actually a perfect format for a video game tie-in. Novels are great. I've read plenty of great video game themed novels. But a video game being essentially a visual medium translates much better over to a comic book, which, as we just said, the art is... I'd say more than 50% of the equation when it comes to a comic book. You still need good writing, but the art is what's most important. So having visual game with the visual comic, it just translates better for me. We don't need, you know, a couple paragraphs describing what a dwarf looks like. We know what a dwarf looks like. Just draw the dwarf and anybody who's played the game will look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's a dwarf. <laughs> well, the thing, so, too, is that it, it's it's uh, you're putting a lot more pressure on the artist in a series like this because we know how things should look based on that world, that IP. So going back to Dragon Age Origins, we know what that world looks like. We know what the mages are supposed to look like, even their weapons, because traditionally the weapons all look the same, their armor, everything. We know what all of these people are supposed to look like, as well as the land and everything else. So if you're going to draw a scene that we would have seen in the game, Yes, you have a certain amount of artistic liberty, but we still have to be able to identify it as that that world. So, Yeah. yeah, it's very important. And that's one thing that had initially worried me about the Dragon Age comics, because just the art style of the comics is actually a pretty big departure from the art style of the games. The games are more dark and moody. Uh, Let's say they're Diablo 2. And now we look at the comics and, well, they're Diablo 3, a little brighter. <laughs> but now that uh, I've actually looked at them and read them, I can appreciate it. Because if you draw, you know, a gritty, darker style of comic, let's say the artwork in Dragon Age had looked like Uncanny X-Men, which is more what Dragon Age should have theoretically looked like, all these magical spells and effect probably would have looked really goofy. But with this really eye-popping, I don't want to call it cell-shaded because it's not cell-shaded, but that style of art just really, the flames literally jump off the page at you. It's it's great artwork. I think that, again, it goes back to it's identifiable as that world, but the artist has a style all his own. His or her? Let's just say his until I check. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, well, I've got it here with me. So, and that's great because then you have, yes, you, you, you have something that is clearly identifiable as that world and yet... It's so it's it's its own entity as well. You can clearly define it as the comic book and not just a rip off of the art that was in the game. And and it is the artist. Uh, who are we looking at here? Oh, damn it. I still can't find it. I will find it later. Yeah, we'll put it in the, the show notes. The art is amazing. The art in this series is absolutely astounding. It, it blows my mind that that they did this much in. Well, it's still, has it gone monthly yet or is it still bi-monthly? The first one came out, I think, like after eight weeks, but I think they're picking up the publishing pace as they're going along. 
Yeah. Now they are actually splitting the work on this as well. So you've got different artists who are working on um, different pages kind of things. So they've got a uh, different I didn't notice. Art. I I actually did towards the end a little bit more. Um, but they obviously there's more working on it. But I mean the artwork is phenomenal. And actually some of the facial expressions, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think a lot of um, the Avatar animated series. Yeah, they, that, it does have that anime feel to it. Yeah, yeah, that the wild mouth action kind of stuff. But uh, but yeah, no, I don't want to take too much time on the art. But to say that I, if they change the art style, I will be most disappointed. <laughs> so diving into the story now. There's two paths you can take when you're making a tie-in. You can go the Mass Effect route, taking plucking characters out of the established story and telling their version of the events. Like as we saw, the Mass Effect Redemption comic miniseries was basically the bridge between the first Mass Effect game and the second. Well, what they've done here with Dragon Age is they've taken the same world, the same concepts, and we haven't seen a, even a glimpse thus far of anything recognizable from the game from a character standpoint. Okay, yeah, you have your Templars, you have your mages, but it's nothing that, hey, that guy from that scene. They've taken this world that there is a huge world Bioware has established for the Dragon Age franchise and told their story of it. And they're expanding upon what's already there. Exactly. And I think that's fantastic. I Yes, it would have been great to read um, stories from the people that were iconic characters in the game. But we got to do that in the books that David Gator wrote. And... Those were phenomenal, and I really love them a lot, but I'm enjoying that this is completely different. I'm enjoying that it's a completely separate story just based in that world, and I'm absolutely loving it. The first one, I thought, the first issue felt rushed, like they were, again, it, it, it's all leading up to... yeah. The second, and then from then on, the story, the actual story, but it still felt a little rushed. I think they should have taken a couple of issues to set that backstory, to be honest. I think it would have been much better, and then it would have lent, gave a lot more weight to the events that follow with the child. That being said, I'm certainly loving it now. It's, I would hazard to say that it's even one of the, the, the best comic book series that i'm currently reading i'm i'm enjoying it that much well let's see uh, if i can get you reading a couple more in upcoming weeks but yeah it's definitely high quality i love gleam she is such a great character yeah <laughs> with her, her her coming to terms with her magic and her interactions with her brother cousin stepbrother whatever you want to call those kids uh, it's great a I, that, that's the word I just keep coming up with with this comic is great. There's nothing bad about it. No, I, I'm I'm really hoping now that uh, not to give too many spoilers for people who are planning on, on picking up these first three issues. However, I mean, you can kind of tell where there's pretty heavy foreshadowing there. You can tell where things are going. But now that it's just the kids going around, you're going to have her taking on a much more much more authoritative kind of attitude with the kids and I think that we're going to see more attitude from her we're going to see a lot more depth to her character I'm certainly hoping that's what's going to happen and then the other two basically are going to be the comedy relief essentially is what it's going to boil down to if I if I'm reading it correctly but yeah she's she's a very deep character I love the dream sequences where she's talking to her mother I I'm enjoying those a lot and so there's 
the potential for depth with the character, not just looking at these three series, but or three issues, I should say, but also looking at what we know from the game and what a mage can expect in life. You know what I mean? We know mm-hmm. you got your work cut out for you, kid. <laughs> Especially when in the third issue, when you start seeing the blood magic being introduced, which is a very, very strong aspect in the game. And it's a, it's not approved of either. So as soon as that was introduced, I was like, oh, 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 bad things are going to happen here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no good can come of this. Trust me. I have a blood mage. Um, so... I like that they're introducing those things from the game that are nice little cookies for those of us who played the game and yet is written in such a way that even if you didn't play the game, it's well written. It's 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 accessible to anyone. And that's what we were talking about with the other series here. They're doing it, though. They're making the series accessible to anyone. Yeah, and things are only going to get worse coming up because oh, now God, that the yeah. Templars are on her trail, they're sending her own father after her. And it's cool to see just how hardcore this guy has become after he was forced to hunt down the mother of his own child. Yeah, yeah. No, again, the and, I, and that's a large part of why I wish they would have taken more time for that first issue to lay the groundwork down for what we can expect, because I think that the, 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 the father and mother, the stories that they had were fantastic, were very good. That that love affair that was not allowed take more time so that we can appreciate that so that when that father is becoming the quote unquote villain, we would still have a little bit of us would still kind of like the character for who he used to be and be conflicted because of what we're seeing him do now. Whereas now, because that first issue was rushed so much, it's more of just a footnote. Well, I have to say, based on my experience, it's not that rushed because you have to think coming up with this comic book tying into their franchise, they basically only have a couple issues to capture anyone's interest. So they kind of have to front load the story a bit. And once they have people buying into it, they can slow it down a bit and flesh it out as the story goes along because you haven't read it. But I did. We saw that World of Warcraft had their own comic series. And again, the art was awesome, although the character designs, some points when they were getting into the iconic characters were a bit iffy. But that one was rushed because everything they had going on in the comics had to tie into the game. The comic is where they uh, introduced the return of King Varian Rin. So they said, OK, we have to have him in the comics reach this point in his character arc before this patch comes out and we reintroduce him into the game. So that was rushed. And as you saw, that that series actually ended up being canceled because people didn't really like it. They they they, they wanted more substance than what they received. Okay. So okay. I'll can, have you know, mister, I actually read the first 12 issues of that. So oh, really? there I did. My kid took it out from the library and I read it. So there, haha, I did read that. Okay. Would you agree that it was rushed? I'd have to go back and read it to remember, okay. in all honesty, because it's not like I was trying to appreciate the story as much. I, I, It did kind of feel rushed. I remember feeling that, but I actually did like it. And I think that because, I mean, it's World of Warcraft. Damn near everybody plays the game, but we certainly put in many hours. So because I already knew a lot of the settings, a lot of the characters, a lot of the the lore of that world bouncing into that comic book was 
very simple for me. So when I read through them, I could identify with things very, very quickly. I actually enjoyed the stories that I read in there immensely. I thought they were very well written. Now, that being said, can I appreciate that other people who had no clue of that world would be lost? Yeah, most certainly. But I I was not, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but just as the, as the story went along, it, it started degrading. Uh, yeah, the first six issues were great. The first 12 issues were good. I myself stopped reading somewhere around issue 15 or 16. It, it It is just a slow decline in the quality. But we're not talking about World of Warcraft. We're talking about Dragon Age. And like I said, if they are front-loading the storyline, trying to get people on board, trying to generate some sales, which is, of course, important. You can't keep publishing a book that nobody's going to buy. Long-term, I feel that the characters they're going with and the side story they're establishing lead to a much better long-term approach for the comic for dragon age you mean yes yes oh most certainly yeah no i and again that's something that we're we're saying here and i I cannot stress enough i really hope this series has legs because everything that i'm seeing here leads to massive epic story arcs that are going to be a blast to read so yeah it'd be great if everybody can support this by buying them (laughs) so that they can keep it up (laughs) because seriously it is worth keeping this series alive as far as i'm concerned all right so to wrap up the show here new mutants forever uh probably worth checking out just to see it don't know if it's really going to be an ongoing purchase uh new mutants 15 and 16 lots of fun looking forward to the future and dragon age Go buy it. Buy two of each. Be be nice. Give them to someone you care about. Yes. (laughs) All right. So just to wrap up with uh, some of today's releases, we have Wonder Woman 602. Uh, We talked about Wonder Woman 601. It was our second episode. So uh, we're seeing how that one's coming along. Invincible 74, a story I love. I might be recommending this one to you in the near future, as well as new spinoff series, Guarding the Globe, number one featuring images version of the justice league we have avengers number four captain america 609 and x-men legacy 239 so we have a very nice lineup and uh, we'll see what we're going to be talking about next week hope you join us next week for issue number five of bow down to us comics 